Welcome, welcome, Housers, to another episode of On the Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite, and I have the great pleasure of being part of the team at Blue Door, an organization that operates in the northern GTA areas of York, Durham, and Peel. We do a lot of great work in the areas of housing, health, and uh, well-paying, well-meaning employment. Check us out at www.bluedoor.ca. Shout out to my team of over 100 individuals that are really huge heroes and changing the lives of our most vulnerable. We do this in partnership with our good friends at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. They do so much. Uh, I can, you know, we take a few podcasts to talk about it, and we have in the past, so go back and check out uh, some of the podcasts with um, Tim Richter and others from the CAEH, or let me just tell you to go to CAEH.ca. They do a lot of work around advocacy, training. They run a massive conference. By the time this podcast comes out, I will have concluded in Halifax and we'll know where next year's conference is going to be. So can't wait to tell you about that. So go to their website, check them out. Go to Blue Door's website, check us out. Doing great work. One of the things that we do is we put together this podcast on the way home with the idea that, listen, there's brilliant people with lived experience, brilliant people that run organizations, uh, healthcare, housing, homelessness. Uh, we bring them all together on this. We bring in our friends from from uh, CMHC to talk about some of the programs they're launching to get the word out. Uh, I learn every week on this podcast, and I'm so fortunate. I, I nerd out on this stuff, talking to some great leaders. Today is no exception. I have Sam Watts uh, from Welcome uh, Home Mission. He is the CEO slash executive director there. So I did not know this, and this proves that leadership is leadership is leadership. Sam only came into the sector in 2016. The first day on the job as CEO was his first day in the Welcome Hall mission. Um, and people might think, oh, no, that can't be. How could someone who doesn't know the sector make such an impact? And an impact he's made. I mean, I listen, you, you know, you talk housing around this country. Sam's name comes up all the time. He is a leader. And he, he took a fresh look at things and really, you know, wanted to say people are doing amazing things. Maybe if I show a new path on how to get there and how to do it with excellence, you know, we could do even better. Uh, he's an author of a book, um, and that book is called, I think, let me just see here, Good Things. We talk about it in that good work done better. And that's exactly, we're doing great stuff. Let's do it better. He's on the National Housing Council. Uh, he talks about how things are a little different in Quebec, because when federal dollars flow through, they go to the province first, and there's some discussion there. We have a great conversation, lots to talk about leadership, um, what has to be done in this sector, the challenges, uh, him coming in. We talk about his journey and uh, not having been a nonprofit his whole life, unlike others like myself. Uh, it's a wonderful conversation. Uh, I encourage you to buy his book or check out his book because I think it's a great leadership book on how we can get this great stuff we're doing um, and make it even better and do it differently. Um, so I encourage you, this is a fun conversation, lots of learning. I learned a lot, as always, from one of our nation's leaders in this sector. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Let's go to that. Sam, so happy to have you on the podcast today. I've uh, been a big fan for a long time. You're doing great things um, in Quebec, and, and you're a busy guy. So thanks for making the time to come on the pod today. Hey, it's fun to be with you, Michael. So we ask the same question to everyone who comes on the podcast because it's a little different. It's, it's a fairly personal question, I think, and that is, what does home mean to you? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question. And uh, for me, I would uh, say that it has to do with security. It has to do with suitability, um, but also with affordability. So uh, somebody who needs a home and we're very busy here doing what we do, helping people find that right place for them in the right location. The other big thing is the word community, because one of the things that we know, and I'm pretty sure you folks know this too, is that if you simply give somebody four walls and a roof, that that's usually not enough. And so around here at Welcome Hall Mission, we talk about shelter, food, and love. Those are kind of our three buzzwords that everybody in this organization talks about. We actually go into some detail defining what we mean by those. But the love part is really about the rebuilding of a coherent, connected community of care. And so that, to me, is part of the definition of the concept of home. I love that, Sam, and, and 100% agree. And we learned that the hard way, I think, where we were putting people. So we were, we were fostering a sense of community in a shelter system where they had a bunch of friends, staff who cared. And then we put them in housing with none of that. And then it would collapse, right? It didn't work. Community yeah. definitely plays a part. Uh, and, I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully we learn from our mistakes. So that's so great to hear. Uh, you and your organization thinking beyond just four walls and a roof. Let's talk a little bit about your journey because you got a little bit of a different journey than most folks that come on this show. How the heck did you get into this work? <laughs> I think it was either complete accident or somewhat providential. I'm not sure how to quite look at it, but uh, most people know that I spent most of my career in the private sector. So I'm, uh, I sometimes describe myself as an old marketing guy. And uh, so I spent a lot of years in, in sales, marketing, senior management of organizations. Then I headed out on my own to be what people referred to me as, as a team performance consultant, which really was a, a field of management consulting where I was helping teams learn how to perform better. And I did a lot of work in the medical and pharmaceutical area in that particular discipline. And then I got a phone call one day that, uh, you know, somebody was calling me, a headhunter saying, hey, Welcome Hall Mission, you probably heard of them, 125 years old, uh, they're looking for a new CEO. And I kind of said, no, thanks, not interested, love what I do. Uh, but then as I looked into it deeper and chatted with my wife about it, she kind of convinced me, she used the analogy of the Montreal Canadiens. She said, if they phoned you and said they were looking for a general manager, would you at least go and talk to them? And I said, heck, yes. Um, you know, being a Montrealer and a longtime Canadians fan, I said, I don't know anything about running a hockey team, but I'd sure go and talk to them if they called me. And she said, well, the same thing should be true for you at Welcome Hall Mission. So I went and talked to them. And what I found was a very innovative organization that was not afraid to try things. And that seemed to fit with a lot of the skill sets that I had. Plus, they needed somebody who was bilingual, who had experience running an organization, who uh, was, uh, I was vetted very carefully for political neutrality um, and the ability, of course, to manage and speak in the media. So um, that just seemed to be the right fit at the right time for me. And then the tough decision was to actually jump in and start doing it. And uh, so that's what I did in 2016. And I've not regretted a minute of it. Wow. So, so so many years, not a nonprofit, you step into a nonprofit as someone who's been a nonprofit for 30 years and hasn't known anything uh, other than that. How was it? How was it 
acclimatizing to? And what were the big, biggest difference you saw, or were there any? Well, there are some incredible similarities. And I think one of the things I learned when I was consulting with various companies was that every industry that I walked into thought of itself as special. There was something unique about us that made us special. And what I discovered was the challenges had different acronyms, but they were mostly the same industry to industry to industry and sector to sector. Um, I'm a little unique in that, you know, the first day I walked into this building that I'm sitting in, I was the CEO. And that simply doesn't happen in our sector, Michael, as you know, it, it's very rare. Uh, usually you've worked somewhere else or you've worked your way up through the ranks or you founded the, the, the place. So that's often the way it works. And the major difference that I saw was that in the private sector, you can motivate people by using money, perks and challenge. But in our sector, you really have to have something that goes way beyond that because we don't usually motivate people with money and perks. We can motivate them with a bit of a challenge, but the culture of our organizations matters. And so if you can create the right culture, uh, almost like a DNA of the organization, then there's a good chance that you can retain people. And those, those people have to be both competent and passionate and one without the other simply doesn't work in our sector. So those are some of the, the differences, but there's a lot of similarities. I mean, I stepped into an organization with, uh, you know, a, a significant amount of assets with buildings all over the city uh, where you had to actually hands-on run what amounts to a medium-sized business. Uh, now the business is not trying to make money. The business is all about serving people in need and helping them get from A to B to C at their speed. Uh, so that's the interesting thing. And it's a complex organization here in Montreal that I have the privilege of serving at as well. So that complexity was something that I was quite used to as well in the uh, in the, the business world. Yeah, and I think sometimes with nonprofit, what people forget is, yeah, you're not in the business of, say, making profit or money. But at the same time, you have to be very physically responsible or you won't be in business for long, right? <laughs> you bet. And not only that, the... The going and getting of funds is in many ways much more tricky because, uh, you know, when costs go up, as we've experienced in the last 12 months, uh, you can't raise your prices to your customers. That's not the way that works in this sector. So, uh, you know, there, there are some challenges at a fiscal level and it does require some disciplines. And so I'm surrounded by 220 full-time staff people and I think at least uh, 10 people in the finance area. So those are important people because they ensure that we, uh, that you know, any money that we get is well managed and well accounted for. Yeah, very, very important in a nonprofit for sure. So let's uh, let's talk about um, the work that you're doing with uh, Welcome Hall Mission. It's been around a long, long time. And it's really, I mean, it's always been amazing, but it's thrived since you've been there, Sam. And I have to say, you know, for someone who's been at it only seven years, you've made a splash in this sector across the country. You, you've had impact, so thank you. Um, but things are a little different uh, in the province of uh, the ecosystem <laughs> for emergency services and housing opportunities. Just operates a little different. Can you help us wrap our heads around that? What are the key differences? What are the challenges? Well, it's uh, it is. There's a lot of things that we do really well here in Quebec, and there's some things where I sort of feel like we're we're still needing to catch up. 
but uh, you know, the, one of the major differences is that federal policy tends to stop at the border of Quebec. I'm not saying that federal policy doesn't have an impact, but any federal policy, like for example, the Reaching Home program, results in a subsequent negotiation with the province of Quebec, which can take a fair amount of time to figure out how that's going to work in Quebec. Uh, because anytime the federal government puts even a little bit of a step towards an area where there's potentially provincial responsibility in Quebec, there has to be this uh, deep sense of collaboration. And sometimes that's a, a very effective thing and other times it's just time consuming and a little frustrating. But the money flow that occurs goes from the, from the federal government to the province and then down into the hospital system. And so we're ending up talking with all of those actors. And the interesting thing about the way money flows for homelessness, at least in Quebec, is that it is correctly, in my view, understood as a healthcare issue. Now, that's a good thing. The challenge that we have is the healthcare system here in Quebec is not really equipped to help fund or manage or oversee the ecosystem of community groups that has been delivering those services in many ways in an innovative fashion for many years. And so that creates often some tension that can occur between us and those people who are responsible to work with us and who partner with us in many uh, interesting ways. And uh, so I think the other thing that is a little bit different is this deep partnership that we have with the healthcare system. So in many cases in our organization, we bring the healthcare system, the hospital network into the organization to actually help us deliver the services. And we do what we can do and they do what they can do. And it ends up being a really coherent partnership. So we have that, for example, with our uh, full service free dental clinic. We have it with our mental health services. And those are good examples of the right kind of collaboration. But uh, data collection here in this province has been suboptimal. And uh, so there's a number of things that I think we can learn uh, from the rest of Canada. And so that's one of the reasons I often enjoy uh, migrating out and uh, talking with my colleagues in, in other parts of Canada, other parts of the United States, because there's always stuff that we can learn and that we can do better. Uh, absolutely. All of us can. And, and I'm, listen, this podcast is one of those ways I am constantly learning. I'm just telling someone today, a random note, we had a guest on a while back and, and, and it was talking about repurposing buildings, but not just like picking them up and moving them. He was talking when they're demolished, using the actual demolished materials to rebuild and, and the massive uh, positive effect it has on the environment and that 30% of landfills are made up of old building supplies. So it just... <laughs> I, I had no clue, right? So you're always learning the, these things uh, from people. And, and how can I take that and learn? And, um, speaking of colleagues from across the country, let's talk about the National Housing Council. Uh, you, you know, in your spare time, you're, you're doing that. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about, uh, for people who may not understand, what is the mandate of the council and, and what is your role specifically? Uh, and what, what have you been working on? Well, that's a, a big question because I think, uh, Michael, you're familiar with the National Housing Strategy Act that was passed in 2019 that established the council, established the office of the federal uh, housing advocate as well. And uh, so there are a number of, of people, including me, that are appointed members of the council. I have the unique status, I think, of being the only member of council who didn't actually apply to become a member of council. I was recruited on by the minister. 
And uh, so the council's mandate is to advise the minister on housing policy and on fulfilling the obligations of the government with respect to the National Housing Strategy Act. And uh, our whole mandate revolves around consulting with communities and ensuring that people who might not normally get a voice into the development of policy actually get that opportunity to have some input. And so it's all about really what I refer to as the progressive realization of the human right to adequate housing in Canada, which is where we need to head. Canada is one of those countries in the world, and it's a rare country that has legislated the right to housing. And uh, we're not there yet because all you need to do is walk the streets of our cities and towns, and you can see that there are plenty of people who are not experiencing that particular right at the moment, and we've got to do better. Uh, I think uh, we need to appeal to Canadians' sense of who we are as a nation. And uh, we've always been a country that said, no, no, the most vulnerable people in this country are people that we need to care for. And right now we're missing the mark on that one when it comes to vulnerable people. I, I did an interview a little while ago in, in the French media here in Montreal, and I said, can you imagine if the sidewalks were crammed with children and every alcove and every building, there were children hanging out there who were in dire straits health-wise and who were begging? Somebody, probably everybody, would scream scandal. So why do we feel any better when it's adults? And so what we really need to be doing is working towards this human right to housing, which sometimes when you say those words, people assume that you mean that everybody's going to have a, you know, a big house in the suburbs with a fence around it. And that's not it at all. It's that people need to have that place and the place will look different for different people, but it needs to be a place that's secure and affordable and accessible. Some of those words that we talked about earlier in this podcast. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Amazing. Thank you so much. You know, so often those terms are dropped and people don't really know. Uh, you know, interestingly, we did a video when I was with a group 360 kids a few years back. And I thought it was brilliant. We used that concept you're talking about. We actually, t- instead of youth, though, we took little kids and we had them hold up these place cards saying things that would happen to you. Now, and the idea is you would freak out if it was me because I'm so young. But why, when I turn 16, do you stop caring, right? Like, in a sense, we may not, and the tagline was, uh, we're not this young, but we're still kids, and we yeah. need your help, right? Um, and same thing with adults. We're, we're not kids anymore, but why do you stop caring when? And you see it even uh, in our region, when they built emergency housing services or renewed them, the men's is the last one they, they're doing because it's the hardest one to get public empathy around. People will say, you know, for, for our, our female one, there's still pushback, but you know, people understand and for youth, they understand. Um, but for the, for the men, the, the empathy is different. And, and we, we try our hardest to say, these are people's brothers, friends, uncles, grandfathers, fathers, you know, they're people. 
Right? We always say people experiencing homelessness, right? We put the person first. Exactly. Uh, so glad you're leading that work uh, with the council. And if that's not enough, you're doing the council, you're the CEO of a massive organization, you're doing great work. You are also an author and you wrote the book, uh, Good Work Done Better. Let's talk about some of the main themes yeah. that you like address in the book. Oh, look at that. <laughs> right there. Just yeah. in case you have to refer to it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I had this thing, I guess it was a driving uh, urge that I had to get something written. And I wrote it uh, just before the pandemic, and then added a couple of appendices. Uh, publisher wanted that done during the pandemic, just to not ignore the fact that we were in the middle of a pandemic. But uh, the idea behind the book really is about the fact that here I came in as an outsider into a sector that I very quickly learned to love. And I saw so many passionate people, you know, doing a lot of really good things, but in many cases, employing an older service model that was ineffective, but they didn't know it. They were just working harder and harder and harder and doing more and more things and really not making the kind of progress that was needed or required because a lot of the thinking around our sector is thinking that's been around for 50 or 60 or more years and we were simply replicating it and we were i call it cheerfully offering 19th century solutions to 21st century problems and so i suggested in the book that we were either going to need to disrupt ourselves or we were going to get disrupted like many other sectors have been disrupted where um, technology or ideas got out in front of traditional organizations that were delivering products and services. So, you know, you could say that maybe I brought a little bit of my past thinking about the consulting work that I'd done in organizations to this sector. And I, I have to emphasize and underline, I was doing it with a lot of love because I really felt keenly that there were many ways in which our organizations can uh, reinvent themselves so that we deliver service in a much more effective way and effective means elevating the dignity of the people that we serve and ensuring that we do so with excellence rather than, you know, second best. Like this is the best we can do because we're just a little crummy not-for-profit. Um, no, no, I don't accept that. We should be excellent at what we do. And a lot of that means helping change the public mindset around how we view not-for-profits. Uh, Dan Pilata has done a lot of work in that area. You're probably familiar with his work. But in a lot of cases, we, we have this double standard where we think, well, it's OK for the for profit sector. But in the not for profit sector, you better look like if you're serving the disadvantaged, you better look disadvantaged yourself. And uh, we at the, the mission here, we simply don't accept that premise. We think that if we do something, we need to be absolutely excellent at it. And we if we're serving people in need, because poverty tends to be a robber. It removes agency from people. It removes a lot of things. It removes a sense of self-worth. And our role is to ensure that people regain that sense, regain that agency. So an example in our free grocery stores, we don't hand out a basket of food. We ask people to choose the food that they want. We also ensure they don't have to line up because when you and I go to a grocery store, we don't line up to get in. We might line up to get out, but um, the, the idea of agency and having a normal experience when you're being helped, I think, is something that's tremendously important. And so I wrote the book really to uh, elevate the notion that, hey, as a community, as a sector, 
we can do better and we need to rethink a lot of the things that we're currently doing. So, you know, if there was an agree button, I'd be slamming it all the time. I love what you're saying and so agree. I always talk about this good enough kind of thing that was in our sector that where like, you know, and that was the Canadian thing. Like we, we you know, uh, any old roof, a, a mat on the floor, <laughs> we, yeah. we got a meal per- done, job done, way to go, you know? And although yes, life saved for a minute, not good enough because it, it should be good enough for all. But also what you're saying, I was with a group years back in PI and, it was a group of non-sector people, and I was from, and they said, uh, "Michael, isn't this great? This soup kitchen that we." They said, "Well, my honest opinion, no. Like the intention's great, but where's the dignity in this? Like going to <laughs> yeah. and this grocery store, same thing. I, I love that. Um, that you know, th- there's dignity in uh, getting your food and doing that, and, and that matters so much. And I love what you, you know, yeah. So Dan." just uh, was starting a movie on charitable. I don't know if you've yeah. seen it uh-huh. and phenomenal. Like it just changed. Uh, I don't know. I've been talking about it ever since, but yeah, I think that sometimes when we say chair, so, so I'll tell you too, uh, we have a construction social enterprise and I was saying to the team the other day, yes, we're a charity, but I don't want you to operate our business like a charity. That means that we're not good at what we do, or we're going to do a half job because we're charitable. So people will use this once, because they're charitable, we want them to use us all the time because we're good, you know. Yeah. So, so it's just a mindset too, where people and I don't want people to cut us breaks all the time just because of that. I want them to actually say this is a good group, and you know what? Added bonus, it's doing social good. Oh yeah, and you don't want to be sloppy at what you do. I mean, one of the things that we hate around here is sloppiness, and uh, so one of our core values, one of our six core values, is excellence. But I think it's also so important I, I have to chuckle sometimes at how many times people actually ask me, so, Sam, what percentage of my gift is going to go to overhead? <laughs> uh, we still get asked that question. And some of the I've, I've got an issue with some of the charity evaluators that are out there in this country that still use a major metric to look at, you know, what percentage they think goes to administration or fundraising. And, uh, you know, while I don't advocate that you should go out and spend 50% <laughs> of what you take in in fundraising, at the same time, it's a double standard that doesn't exist in any other sector. Yeah, and that's a Dan was saying a lot of that in that in that film is that you know Coca Cola, different people, if they went out and spent a ton of money on marketing, no one would blink an eye because it brings in more revenue. The exactly. charitable sector is bringing in more revenue. It takes money to do that, but at the end of the day, they're going to serve people better. They're going to bring in more dollars for housing. Um, and it just, just everyone wins, right? It's just a different mindset that hopefully we can change over time. Uh, yeah. And people who, who measure that too, have to think about how do we measure things a little differently uh, to not pr- keep that, that rolling, doing what we've always done and getting the same results. Yeah. Don't talk to me about uh, metrics of spending on, on fundraising. Talk to me about impact. And yeah. I think that's what we need to be looking at. And uh I'd like to think that that's where this sector is headed, because I think if we don't do that, then we will end up being disrupted. We're going to have uh, either government decide that they want to do things differently and, and they're not going to do it well, because I think we actually do things very well in the areas where we uh, we're trying to help out the most vulnerable people. We're like the social safety net underneath the social safety net. And I think you need that. Um, you're, we're, it's, it's not as if we're, you know, we can 
work at eliminating poverty and we certainly are going to work at eliminating homelessness, but we're always going to need to have that ability to, to catch the person that falls beneath that social safety net and as quickly as possible, get them back up to where they really should be. Absolutely. Uh, it, yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting what you're, what you're saying. And I think I love the fact, and I, I encourage people to take a look at your book because I think, uh, Listen, this is a complex problem that we're trying to solve. Uh, and this was, again, I'm going to go back to the Uncharitable movie because he, he mentions this. He said, we've solved some really complex stuff really quickly. Look at, all right, take COVID, for example. Mm-hmm. Normally, a vaccine would take seven to nine years. We did it in two. And why? how did we do that? Because we put the resources, willpower, government support, community support all together pushing for this. And we got it. And we put the best people on it, right? And paid them the value and and with homelessness very solvable right i think we we wouldn't be in this if we didn't think there was very solvable there's there's proof around the world that people have done really good things in really different places um we just need to put the best people to it and, and really kind of change that mindset too around uh, around some of those pieces you're doing that you told me as we were talking before we, we started rolling this is your eight eight hundred and thirty six uh, media appearance since the <laughs> pandemic started. That yeah. is crazy. <laughs> well, and, and of course, here in Montreal, we, we double up a little bit because I'm doing it in English and in French. Oh, man. Um, so tomorrow I've got to do a, a piece with Radio Canada on uh, we're seeing a, a phenomena, which I'm sure you're already seeing in, in the metro Toronto area of refugees and asylum seekers that are beginning to invade, if you want to call it that, the ecosystem that typically serves the homeless population. And uh, that was something that literally did not happen in Montreal until about two years ago. And, and this year has really been the first time that it's been pronounced. And so I've got to uh, do one of those interviews. But uh, it's to me, this is all part of helping uh, the public mindset shift. Because one of the things that I said at the National Housing Council over and over again to my colleagues is that public policy moves at the speed of public opinion. And so one of the mistakes that we've made in this sector, and I touch on it in the book, is we talk to each other a lot. And that's fine. We should talk to each other. But we tend to exist in our own echo chamber. And sometimes the language we select and the arguments we use are not convincing to the general public. And so one of the challenges that I think we face over the next little while, because we've got an opportunity now in front of us, housing is front and center in every province, in every territory, and with the federal government. This is an issue. It's not number 37 on their list of priorities. It's number one, two, or three. So we've got to make sure that we take advantage of this moment in time and bring the public along. Because if we bring the public along and if we can shift the nexus of public opinion, then I think we'll be in a better position to influence policy. You know, hollering at ministers or having meetings with ministers and I do that here in the province of Quebec. It's good. It's important to do. But if the public opinion doesn't move in the right direction, the government and those who make the policy decisions at the, 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 you know, the, the level of, of bureaucrats and so on, they simply don't move and they don't move fast enough. Yeah, well, well said, right? I mean, it's uh, when housing wasn't a number one issue, I can remember uh, it just felt like talking to talking to a wall in a sense and they were telling us <laughs> it was and now it is 
Um, and I think, yeah, you're right now. Now is the time and that will sway things. And I think you look at our federal government right now, uh, if moves aren't made in the next little while, housing and homelessness is what was going to lose them the next election, right? Affordability of life, really. But but it's yeah, I mean, this is what the next election is going to be decided on, I believe. Yeah. And I think, look, uh, CMHC tells us that we need 3.5 million new doors by 2030. And uh, that's a monumental task. And it's going to take everybody. Uh, you know, government's not going to be able to build that many ha- that much housing, even if they started tomorrow. Uh, so it's going to take a collection of all of us around the table to make that happen. And uh, it's a lot of money. But, you know, it's one of those things that what's it going to cost us if we don't do this? You're right. And you know what? Someone corrected me the other day. I used that 3.5. They're like, those are new. Remember, not already the ones that we're supposed to. That's in addition to whatever yep. we had planned. In addition, we need 3.5. So I think it was somewhere around, what did they say, seven? Or like it was almost, it was crazy. So you're right. Like that has to, you know, it's going to take a collaborative effort for sure. Uh, listen, I know you're huge on collaboration, uh, bringing people around the country. Like it's seven years. You have had an impact, and I think that's exactly what we needed too. Is a fresh look at you know the, these problems we were solving, and you've brought that and it's made an impact. I think we should do that more often. If people want to find out more about your organization, about your book, uh, what you're doing right now, where do they go? Well, you can go to welcomehallmission.com, and if you're really brave and you want to do it in French, you can do missionbonacay.com. Uh, but uh, the book is available on Amazon and a variety of other uh, typical distributors. Good Work Done Better. Uh, you can also Google uh, goodworkdonebetter.com and you'll find me there too. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for all you do, uh, for making an impact on the sector, for helping us, for kind of changing, I say changing the narrative and, and you know, helping us to think differently because Listen, this is, someone asked me today, they said, how are you doing? And I said, uh, oh, we're, we're really busy. They said, that's great. I said, I don't know if it's great. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I guess, you know, but at the same time, uh, they said, it's just like pushing a, a boulder up a, a steep hill because uh, those challenges are getting bigger and bigger. But I think with people like yourself and others across the sector, it inspires me and it gives me great hope for the future. Well, thank you. Well, Sam, we will see you next time on the way home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.